When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Start with this what if, Callahan, because I, ha- I have some numbers for you. What if the Patriots just signed DeAndre Hopkins? Who? What did he spend, like 48 hours in the facility, whatever it was? We thought they were going to land him. He is 16th in the NFL in receiving yards at 898. He's played in every game at 31. The Patriots receivers, they've been banged up in the case of Parker and Demario Douglas recently. Juju, the knee issue at the beginning of the season, he finally played well in a game that the Patriots probably wasn't best that they wanted. Juju actually showed up, and we know Kendrick Bourne's been gone for the season. Demario Douglas is first on the Patriots in receiving yards. In terms of their receivers, he's 85th in the NFL at 410. Again, DeAndre Hopkins is just south of 900. And Bourne's at 406, which is second among the Patriots receivers, and is 86 in the NFL, and he's been out for a while. If you look at Hopkins, 11th in yards perception at 15.8. Now, is he the perfect player? No. Like, we understand he doesn't separate. He's low on the next-gen separation stats. I mean, not as low as our guy Devontae Parker, who, again, for the fourth consecutive season, he's tied for last in the NFL in separation per target, right, at two yards. But I'll stop you there, though. Don't, don't we need to start giving out an award? Like, it's going to be small. It's going to be the size of the plastic army men, and it's Devontae Parker in some position possibly dropping a ball for the least separation because the man is nothing if not consistent and consistently <laughs> stuck to whatever defender is nearest him. Like, we talk about gravity and hoops, and I've talked about this with receivers and effects defenses. What is – like, he is the black hole of receivers. I want the black hole next-gen stats – Tiny award in Devontae Parker's mold at the end of every season. And honestly, spoiler alert, he's going to win it every year. Anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, I think they should do a test, like the drop-off. Hey, can we find the Chiefs' ninth best corner and see if Devontae (laughs) Parker can run away from that guy or something along those lines? See, like on the Patriots scout team, who is the corner they can put on him that that you can actually see Parker separate from? But my point is, okay, so DeAndre Hopkins is not – in the Tyreek Hill, Jamar Chase, right, the Justin Jefferson category anymore. Like, he was living in that neighborhood for seven, eight years, where he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. But is he a top 20 guy? Yeah, probably. And the Patriots have nowhere near a top 20 guy. Now, look, maybe we still get the same result. Like, the quarterback plays really poorly this year in Mac Jones. But at least, I think from... Bill Belichick's perspective, it would have actually been better if he got DeAndre Hopkins and Mac had this season where it's like, oh, you have a number one legitimate receiver. This is something that we all wanted the Patriots to do in the offseason. In fact, I can't remember, Callahan, if you and I talked about it on a pod or we just texted about it. I thought they were going to land him and it made a lot of sense because the Patriots, one of the only teams that could actually bring him in because of salary cap reasons, they could have paid more than the Titans. The teams that he should have wanted to go to and the teams I'm guessing he wanted to go to, like the Bills and all these other teams, they didn't have the money. They didn't or like the Eagles. They didn't need them because they have two really good receivers and Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. So this was the perfect situation. So I just feel like we probably get the same result from Mac. Like he's probably not good, but at least it would have helped Belichick where Belichick could have said, see, I got him a number one receiver and look at the production. It's still bad. He's worse than he was his rookie season. So I should have said this at the outset, but the, the, the point of the exercise, of course, is is to not skewer fans about how things are at 3-10 and 10, as Bailey Zappi's play quarterback and you have the low-scoring offense in the league. But it's to understand that even though the Patriots' point differential is reflective of a 3-10 and 10 team, they stink. They deserve to stink. They are bad. How, how things could have changed. And I think DeAndre Hopkins was such a storyline here for a month that it does deserve revisiting because in camp starts and we start reporting on other things and we forget everything. We move on very quickly. This too shall pass happens all the time in the news, sports or otherwise. But it is worth noting those numbers that you mentioned because it's not like he's catching passes from quarterbacks who are appreciably better than the ones he has in New England. And I'm not talking about broken Mac Jones. Like not Mac Jones, but Mac Jones we've seen for most of the season because those numbers, as you mentioned, 57 catches, 898 yards and six touchdowns, that's more than the Patriots' two leading receivers combined. It's more than Juju, Parker, 
Taekwon, Keishan Booty, and Jalen Rager combined. So this is a guy who has a seismic effect on the offense. And you want to look at the early part of the season. What was the issue? Keishan Booty couldn't get his foot down. Um, if DeAndre Hopkins is here, Keishan Booty might still have not made his NFL debut. Okay. Yeah. Next week, you need to get a first down. And Mike Kosicki laterals back, Cole Strange get pushed, falls a couple inches short, whatever it is. You're not throwing to Mike Kosicki in that instance. Who, oh, by the way, throw him in that whole pool of Juju Parker, Taekwon Booty, Rager. Doesn't change. Hopkins still has more yards. So I think they at least win one game if they have him here. And maybe there's a blow up between him and O'Brien because everyone pretended like all those fences were mended. And I've heard differently. I think it played a little bit of a factor, maybe not as much as the money, but the point stands. It was such a big deal. And then we forgot about it. And now you look back and go, that's a player who would have solved a lot of issues this season. So I don't know. I mean, do you, do you see them as like a, you know, five and eight team right now with him, six and seven? Like it's not a size no, change, but what, yeah, what I just think, I just think they would have been more confident, right? Where, and the other thing I would say is just having that security blanket is probably the wrong word for a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, but knowing like this is the hierarchy of the team, because even at the beginning of the year, now Kendrick Bourne turned out to be their best receiver prior to the injury, but it wasn't like determined heading into the season that Kendrick Bourne was going to be the number one guy. If you just sign DeAndre Hopkins, everything sort of fits together. And I remember thinking at the time, like, Hey, and Ramondre had a really slow start to the season. The three games prior to the injury, he was outstanding. But if you have Ramondre Stevenson in the backfield and, I know we'll probably get into the line at some point. You have DeAndre Hopkins, you have Kendrick Bourne, and then we saw what we got with the Demario Douglas throughout the season. Like, it's not an elite group of weapons, but it's a lot more confident than what we've seen. And I do think that, I mean, the biggest thing to me is just the fact that you would have been doing what was the obvious move. Like, you had him in the facility. He visited the team, and that's the thing that irritates me. I was talking about this with the Red Sox. Like, you know, hopefully they get Lucas Giolito now as, like, their guy in the mid-rotation instead of Seth Lugo, but... We know you wanted him. We know you liked him. But you were back in like your old principles of, hey, this is the offer we're making. We're not coming off that offer. Well, you don't have Brady anymore. Sometimes you can. And when you can't overpay, like we're fine with it. Overpay for the, You overpaid for Nelson Aguilar, but you wouldn't overpay for DeAndre Hopkins. I guess that's sort of what aggravates me. So in the grand scheme of things, to answer your original question, as I went on this digression here, maybe they win an extra game or two, right? Just because, okay. I mean, it's tough to, it's, it's tough to imagine, like, just having that guy that, hey, do we have to double DeAndre Hopkins today? Like, you didn't have to ask that question about any Patriots receiver as much as I really like Kendrick Bourne. Now, I'm glad you dismounted on Bourne because I think Bourne, from what I understand, would have been the odd man out. And I don't think that should have been mm. a barrier to signing DeAndre Hopkins. Like, again, as soon as he stepped foot in Foxborough, even as a free agent, he is the best wide receiver in all of New England, I don't care any level, what team, obviously the Patriots being the best team with all the best players in this region, but he is the best receiver in that building. And so Kendrick Bourne had a great offseason. He's someone who had bought back into your program. The Patriots were desperate, desperate for culture drivers this offseason, people to go with Belichick. Well, he got his guys that obviously didn't work out. Again, the concerns about DeAndre Hopkins' practice habits and attitude, and as I said, history with Bill O'Brien, were legitimate concerns um, but I think probably would have been smoothed over had they started two and one, which likely happens in one of those games. If you hear, I still don't think you beat the Cowboys. The Saints is a toss up and they still spiral, but it's um, it's an interesting what if. All right. I'm going to take my what if number two. I just said that like the word is spelled with EF, not IF. <laughs> what if back in January, Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft meet? And they sit down. They talk about the 8-9 campaign. This is the worst offense of the Bill Belichick era. What are we going to do to fix it? And instead of Robert Kraft foisting Bill O'Brien upon Bill Belichick, who co-signed, to be clear, Belichick persuades him into keeping Matt Patricia as the offensive coordinator. Because at the time, and I would have been shouting this for seven months after the fact, this is a disaster. You can't do it. It was an experiment. And it failed. Brian, I got to be honest. It's hard to imagine things being much worse than this. And I, again, don't say this. As a pro-Patricia person, as far as him being an offensive coach, or honestly, much evidence of him being a good coach at all. However, I think what that would have meant is you have a new quarterback's coach. Joe Judge would have not stayed in that position, given his relationship with Mac, everything that went wrong. You could read the story Karen and I wrote in January. I think you would have had a deeper passing game. When you look at the average depth of target, how they married some of their play action stuff at the end of the year, I think all of the 
divisions within the playbook where things just didn't match up. Our run plays look different from our play action ones, finally get fixed, and they do grow. Now, I also think there is a higher chance that DeAndre Hopkins signs because he fits with this kind of isolated route concept, deeper passing game, and Bill O'Brien's not here. Now, again, the odd man out would have been Kendrick Bourne, but it's crazy to think that the worst offense in Patriots history to that point probably leads to an improved product, even though Matt Patricia was the worst offensive coordinator the Patriots ever had, along with Bill Belichick. The only question, of course, and I'll let you answer this, is what the hell happens with the offensive line? Does Patricia keep his job there in addition to the play calling duties or relinquish them to Adrian Clem? Like that's, that's a bigger part because the line has been better than it was last year. And obviously that was Patricia's department first and foremost before we even get to the offense and the play calling and the playbook. Well, as bad as Patricia was, that I'll defend him in this sense. It, you're making a guy be an offense or you're giving the guy the opportunity to be an offensive coordinator, play caller for the first time. And you're also saying you have to coach the offensive line. And that's difficult for anybody across. Like, I don't even know how many teams across the NFL have their offensive line coach that also calls the plays. There can't be a lot of them, right? Right? And you're asking this guy to do it in his first year. It just, that was unfair to me. So you're probably right on that. They bring in an offensive line coach. And the other thing I would say is like this whole idea, remember they wanted to run the Shanahan system and midway through the season, they decided it didn't work and they did make some adjustments to their credit. I'm not defending what Patricia did. But I also thought like, hey, we'll see Bill O'Brien bring in some stuff that will help Mac Jones, right? Right. The whole connection of, okay, he didn't coach Mac at Alabama, but Mac was like helping him out with the playbook. Well, Mac Jones is 19th in the NFL in passing attempts out of RPOs. Remember when we heard like, hey, we're going to see an RPO game. We're going to see more play action. Actually, no, we're seeing less play action. We're seeing less RPOs. I just wonder, what has Bill O'Brien done? Because I would say that as crazy as this sounds, and I know like, and you guys had the great article about how they didn't know what the play action was to certain passing plays and all that. What has Bill O'Brien really done? I go even go back to the game last week that Bailey Zappi played against Pittsburgh. It wasn't like it was the play calling. You had some like ridiculous plays by the receivers. Like His completion percentage over expectation was fourth highest in the league last week. That's because Juju is going up and making that crazy catch. Like I felt like that gave the Patriots confidence and Zappy confidence on the first drive. It was well, how about this? The end of that first drive was a play, a touchdown to Ezekiel Elliott on the same concept that Matt Patricia called his first touchdown at Miami last season. It's basically <laughs> a pick route. Hunter Henry ran over, got in the way of Ezekiel Elliott's man. He runs free into the flat, boom, touchdown. Ty Montgomery scored in the exact same play. So it's not like the new wrinkles and added RPOs and play action never came to fruition. It's also not like Bill O'Brien's running new staple concepts for them. Yeah, so if I think about it, I would say that the Patriots offense, and I can't believe I'm saying this now as we look back at it, I think it would have been slightly better. And now maybe the other component to this is, and this is really getting into the weeds, does Zappi actually have a better training camp? Because remember, I mean, you said it multiple times. He had one of the worst training camps ever. In the preseason, he was horrendous. And look, I know that he played against really bad defenses when he won those games with Matt Patricia. But that's like when Patricia was cooking. I mean, Patricia was calling a ton of play action for Bailey Zappi and drawing up all these open throws. So I do wonder, like, Zappi in that simplistic offense, he was pretty good last year. And look, not to say that he would have been the starter going into the season, but... Would you have been able to make the switch to Zappi earlier than you did with Mac Jones because Zappi wasn't horrible like the worst quarterback we've ever seen in preseason action? Like, could that possibly, could they have actually turned it over to him earlier? It's a great question because I think that style, and it, it was so strange, right? Like, you go back to to last season and move, move on to another what if here soon. You know, Mac was in the gun. Mac was throwing the ball deep. It wasn't working. He had a lot of turnovers. And then he gets hurt, and they go under center. They're running traditional play action. These are clearly defined throws, more screens. And I was like, wow, imagine what happens when you make life easy on a quarterback. And this is not about Mac being uncomfortable under center or in the shotgun. The guy spent his entire high school career in the wing tee. He's under center, okay? Now, he did want to throw RPOs, and they incorporated some more. But it was just the typical we have a backup quarterback plan that they installed and it helped they play the Lions and Browns. But you're right about Bailey Zappi, which if Matt Patricia was the head coach and Joe Judge is still around as a known pro Zappi guy who butted heads with Mac, maybe we would have had a bigger quarterback competition this summer, which I am not arguing for. Mac Jones is a better quarterback until he completely broke down. 
But the lead up to this season also would have been so different while we're just going, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Maybe we do get different quarterback play um, than we saw this summer. All right. What's your next uh, what if? Okay. So this one is what if Christian Gonzalez and Matthew Judon never go down this season? Because that was it was both in the Dallas game, right? And they were one and three after that game. But Gonzalez still 13th ranked corner in terms of PFF's coverage grade. Passer rating against his 11th at 67.5. And we saw it. He was, I thought, and look, he got beat a couple of times in the Eagles game. He was awesome against the Eagles. He was great against Tyreek Hill and the Dolphins, right? Like, it's an achievement if you hold Tyreek Hill to south of 80 yards. Patriots are really good. And they had a great game plan. Like, remember the, the, the whole idea of they were trying to make them go down the field methodically. Whatever it was, it worked out. And I thought that Gonzalez flashed. Like, he looks like a star to me. I may look, like, dumb saying this in a couple of years from now, but I don't think so. I think the guy's a star. And then Judon, he had four sacks at the time that he went down. So if you look at the Patriots on the season, the run defense, success rate, number one in the NFL. EPA, number one in the NFL. Yards per attempt, number one in the NFL. The Patriots are the best rush defense in the NFL. Jabril Peppers has been awesome. And we start to vie. He's the fourth ranked linebacker, according to PFF. And I'm not saying PFF's to be all end all, but I think that kind of, and maybe he's not the fourth best linebacker in the league, but he's played well, right? The defense, though, 23rd in dropback EPA, 26 in sacks, that ranks 28th, and their 22nd in pressure rate, and their passer rating against is 14th, so a little bit better than average there. But these numbers, your Best pass rusher wasn't there. And for a large portion of the season, he was still leading the team in sacks. Now, I think Barmore has come on in the interior lately. I think that's something that we've certainly seen. And I was going through this the other day on my pod. A lot of these interior guys, their breakout season is actually their fourth year. If you look at like Fletcher Cox, Gerald McCoy, some of these guys really break out in year four. But my big point with this is just the Patriots, this defense is like good. It may have been one of the best defenses in the league. If your best two players don't get hurt in the Dallas game, and the other thing I'd say to that, just in terms of a bigger, broader thing, maybe it actually hurts the future if these guys don't get hurt, right? Because then we're talking about, hey, do you have five wins? Do you have six wins? Are you right now like competing to try to get one of those final wild card spots? And then you're not in the Drake May sweepstakes, and you're still stuck with Mac Jones at quarterback entering next season. So, Look, I feel bad for these two players. They got injured. Like, that stinks, and I wish these guys were on the football field. But maybe for the grand scheme of things, it actually works out better for the Patriots that you say, oh, we have some really good pieces on defense, and guess what? Next year we're getting our best two pieces back, and we're going to have a different quarterback. So it used to be that the Patriots played their best football after Thanksgiving. Well, I'm here to tell you we don't have to wait for turkey and mashed potatoes and football for you to win and place your best bets of the year with FanDuel America's number one sportsbook because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 with a single bet if the team that you pick wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, I'm telling you there's no better time than now to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. I do it all the time. There's a wide range of options too if you don't like betting options like the money line. That's for me. If it's not for you, go for point spreads, player props, over-unders, and tons more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get your winning in the NFL season, no matter what the Patriots do. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 year older in present Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager is required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org. Call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All great points. And I think, you know, let's, honing in on Judon for a second. Like, I've been belaboring the point. The Patriots blitz the last four, five, six weeks is completely broken. Like, they're allowing passer ratings that are north of 120 when they decide to send extra rushers. And this is not a who's who of Pro Bowl quarterbacks in recent years. I'm talking, you know, Gardner Minshew, Tommy DeVito, Justin Herbert in the rain with receivers who are dropping balls all over the places. Uh, And then, obviously, Mitch Trubisky. And you want to even go further back, Sam Howell. Like, they just – they can't do anything. And why are they blitzing? Well, they can't get a pass rush with just four. Like, their last pressure rate, over 30%, I think was over a month ago. And so that's an issue for a defense that obviously needs Judon. You say, okay, well, one player can't fix all of that. Aha! Uh-huh. He would take pressure off of Josh Uche, who seems to be in witness protection. Christian Barmore is doing his thing. 
But other than that, there's no one that you're scared of on defense. So Judon amplifies that, drags attention away. Christian Gonzalez in the back end. Let's look at those games after that. They play the Saints, who, look, 34 nothing is 34 nothing. Mac was broken, gave that game away single-handedly. They go to Vegas, lose 19-17. Again, I think they probably win. Then the Bills, who they did beat. Maybe they don't again. And then at Miami, which I think gets to be the most interesting matchup, given what you said, how Christian Gonzalez handled Tyree Kill. Because they lost that game, yes, on a Jalen Waddle touchdown, but they lost that game because Jack Jones did not make their game plan adjustment for this fly motion that comes across, and they were supposed to switch assignments. Once Tyree Kill goes across the formation next to Jalen Waddle, the guy on the outside was going to take Hill because he had better leverage, and the guy on the inside was going to take Waddle. And Jack Jones just kept following him across the formation. So Christian Gonzalez maybe makes that same mistake as a rookie. But I think you have better depth there where you're not forced to play yeah. Jack Jones coming off of an injury with his head in the clouds. And, of course, Jack Jones gets cut later. So those are the two players you would have needed to compete with Miami. And, yeah, ultimately it might not have been um, you know, a big swing of this season. You know, 3-10, and 10, okay, great, you're 5-8, and 6-7. and seven. But would that have been a bigger deal than DeAndre Hopkins, you think? I, I believe so, for yeah. sure. Because those are two guys, and we already have the bones of a good defense, right? We don't have the bones of a good offense, and you still don't have the quarterback. So I think that defense could have, with those two guys, I think you probably find two more wins. But as I said, maybe it hurts you in the grand scheme of things. And the Jack Jones thing, I'm thinking back on that now is you and I, you came on my pod. We did a full pod on the Jack Jones legal situation. They stuck by him because they needed him, right? Like, they needed him, and we found out that his play didn't even justify it anymore. So that, to me, was just – it was a whole, like, month of talking about Jack Jones, and you got no return on sticking by the player, right? I mean, the guy – he was bad when he was on the field, and he had an opportunity when Christian Gonzalez went down to be like, hey, I can be the number one corner on this team. Clearly, he can't do that. But, yeah, I look at it and I say, hey, you have a shutdown corner, and you have – not one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, but at least a number one pass rusher on a team that doesn't have a pass rush right now, at least from the edge, this team would have been significantly better. But, hey, if this gets you Drake May because of the injuries, I'm all for it. All right. My second what if, and this is my last one. What if Zach Wilson completes that Hail Mary at the end of the week three win in New York? Like, it, it's been a slog of a season. I'm not going to lie to anyone. I love my job. I am incredibly fortunate and blessed. This is on behalf of the fans, of which I used to count myself for, asking questions, writing, finding new information, doing these podcasts. And I just have to think that if they go to 0-3, before that game, which, by the way, Matthew Slater gives his speech to the team at the Friday practice saying, hey, fellas, we need to have some urgency because NFL history says if we go to 0-3, we're not going to the playoffs. Obviously, they're not going. They knew that weeks later. But all of the issues you're seeing now, a coach leaves to go work at Syracuse. Offense intended, Brian. Uh, Malik, Malik Cunningham leaves because he can't play quarterback any here. Defenders are telling me on the record, we feel like we have to post shutouts. All of this has happened in the last four weeks. Does that get moved up to November in a way that's like, what the hell are we supposed to do? And if they lose that game, then lose to Dallas, and then the Saints, and who knows what happens in Vegas, and then the Bills in Miami, like you're going into the trade deadline at 1-7? Oh, and eight? Does Robert Crabb then force Belichick to sell in a way that I suggested after that second Miami loss, being like, we all know what the team is. We know what the, the ending is to this story. Let's hit fast forward. Choose your own adventure and deal Josh Uche and Kyle Duggar. Because you also just might be able to bring them back as free agents. And we know now, because of what he said in Germany two weeks later from that Miami loss in late October, Robert Kraft thought the Germany game was a way to maybe reset the season. Which at two and seven, I don't see... How in the world you could do that? But that's what he believed. I think that's a much harder argument to make if you come in at 1-7 and seven or, God forbid, 0-8. And, and that's how close this team was. Granted, that Hail Mary's a long pass. It's difficult to complete. But that got batted around. And it – I mean, how dark does this get, in your opinion, if that happens? Yeah, and by the way, Gerard Mayo said they didn't have to reset, right? The defense didn't have to reset. It was yes. more of an, <laughs> an offensive reset, which I thought that was interesting is – the guy that everybody assumes is the coach in waiting. I thought that was interesting that he said that. And also, like, going back to that game, they caught the Jets with Farrell Brown. Remember, they're like, Farrell Brown's on the field. There's Big no way. Farrell Brown, baby. Yeah, yep. <laughs> there's no way they're throwing it to him, so they do. But I hope if they were at one win, they would have made more trades to pick up additional draft capital. And maybe that would have been better because 
maybe Carolina could win a game down the stretch here. Although then the Patriots, of course, go ahead and then they win that Steelers game. But say you have the two wins, right? Like maybe instead of three wins or whatever, maybe you have a chance, right, to be able to get the number one pick. From although it seems like Carolina is pretty intent on not winning a game, even though they don't have their draft pick. But yeah, and I think the noise around Bill that really has started to perk up over the past couple of weeks, it perks up even sooner than it originally did. And maybe you do have issues like in terms of what's going on inside the locker room. Cause I get to imagine that was incredibly frustrating for the defensive players. Like I give those guys a ton of credit. I know this is a digression again, but I don't like they say, say all the right things publicly. Who was it two weeks ago? Jalen Mills. Where he's like, we gave up six points, and that was too much, or whatever. It was it was Adrian Phillips to me in the locker room after the Giants game on November twenty sixth, and said, "We have to bat a thousand. We have to give up zero. And then Devon Gotchow goes way in in a way that I, in a lovely segment called "Andrew sits by himself and reads his own work" to podcast listeners, went through all of Gotchow's quotes about it. So aside from those two incidents, though, you're right; they have said all the right things publicly, and especially, I guess, anyone who's just not talking to me. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that it gets a little bit, it gets a lot darker for the organization in general. And I'm sure that we hear a lot more from the players than we did this season. I know this has been a buttoned up organization, but I mean, you get to that point where you don't have a win forever. Then I think you hear more from this Patriots team. And look, maybe it would have been a reality check earlier because after they go, after they pick up the Jets, when it's like, all right, they can still be feisty. They can still get plucky, get back on track. I don't know about you, but after that game, I felt worse than I did after the Miami loss and after the Philadelphia loss, because that's when I felt like, oh, man, the offense looks really bad. Because I thought, like, despite the turnovers against Philadelphia and against Miami, I thought they showed some signs. Like, the offense to me at that point looked okay. It looked like they were doing at least some functional things. In the Jets game, I was starting to think to myself, this looks like the Mac that we saw last season. This looks like the offense we saw last season. Yeah, I remember writing after that game going, they're running out of time to prove anyone wrong that they're just a mediocre club. Lo and behold, they were not mediocre and injuries hit the week after and a lot of unfortunate things um, in the weeks that followed. But I was right. Got a lot of flack for that column of saying you're running out of time. This is how you celebrate a divisional win. First of all, it's not my job to celebrate. But you're right. Like that performance was uninspiring in a way that you almost beat the reigning NFC champions. You had the Miami Dolphins, you know, a yard or two away from being forced to go to overtime, probably yeah. on that last drive. And then the Jets almost beat you, even though Zach Wilson looks as broken as Mac Jones has basically since. Like it just, it just wasn't good. Um, as far as Belichick goes in this very dark scenario, which again, I said at the outset, we're not trying to skewer anyone, but it's if we if we don't want to live in this reality, the point is to kind of talk about these different scenarios in, in, in fantasy lands. I still think he's safe. I don't think he's fired midseason as has been reported elsewhere because of the contract, because of this longstanding respect for what he accomplished and, and transformed along with Robert Kraft and Tom Brady and all the players that they brought in. Like th- there's a huge economy now around Foxborough, Massachusetts. Okay. Which would not be on the map in any other kind of way, let alone the legacy that changed around New England and within the NFL and everything to do with this team in the last 25 years. Like that, that's what Belichick meant in that respect means something uh, where I still think he keeps his job. All right. What's your last, what if, okay. So this one is a reach and Ooh. it was a reach what the Patriots did. What if they didn't fall in love with Marte Mapu? Because uh, yeah. maybe he's good down the road. Right. But obviously I really like Jabril Peppers. I think that guy's an absolute stud and we'll see what they do with Duggar long-term. I don't think Duggar has been as good as he was last year, but I also think he's had to play more of a Devin McCourty role at times this year than the role he had last year, right, where he could be more disruptive. But he went 76. And I know the Patriots had recently drafted running backs, but Devon Achan went 84th. And I don't believe that was the Parker pick, but they the Dolphins did pick up a third-round pick for Parker. I don't believe that was the exact pick. But anyway, 9.2 yards per carry third in the NFL. And look, the Patriots, if they took him, they would have been criticized for this pick because of the fact that they just drafted running backs, and why are you drafting a non-premium position? I could ask the same thing about drafting Marte Mapu at that particular point in time. But Tajay Spears was also in that draft, 4.9 yards per carry, 91st percentile in the vert, 87th percentile in the broad jump. 
And the reason I bring up these two guys in particular, the running backs, is because that does feel like a sweet spot where you can take one and justify it, right? Like nobody's saying, hey, the Dolphins screwed up taking H-hand there, even if he's been dealing with injuries. He looks like he's going to be a stud. Spears looks like he's going to be a good player as well. And that means you don't have to sign Zeke. And Zeke has not been good for the team. And the thing about Zeke, and I, I liked the signing at the time, but it's because you, you didn't get anything. You don't think Zeke's been good? Huh? You don't think Zeke's been good? No, I don't think he's been bad. I just don't think he's – like, I think the I similarities – <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's like – it's about what I expected, right? But my point with these two guys is it would have been something different, right? Because I know they had recently drafted running backs the previous draft, right? The Kevin Harris's of the world, et cetera, the Pierre Strong's of the world. But I think about Ramondre, who I know got off to a slow start, but the power back and then the speed back. Like, if you had those two different elements to the team, I think having that speed as your number two running back, if you will, would have brought something different. When this team has been begging for explosive plays anywhere you can get them, whether it's in the passing game or the running game. And I do wonder if having one of these guys early on in the season sort of bolsters the offense where they were searching for... Ramondre to get his season on track. I still don't know why Ramondre had such a slow start. I don't know if it's, was he banged up? Was there, I mean, I know in training camp, they were trying to rest him as much as they possibly could, but he looked like Ramondre prior to the injury, as I mentioned earlier. But I do wonder, like, if they just made a different pick there, could they have got, and I understand they really like Marte Mapu, but again, this is a guy that has essentially given you nothing this year. You got a lot out of Gonzalez before the injury. We'll see what Keon White is long term but I do wonder if that pick was more of just hey Bill really likes this type of player so Bill's going to take this type of player when you already have a bunch of guys that are like Marte Mapu on the team it's funny you say that because I can't confirm uh heard whispers around the combine and you know look you hear a lot of stuff at the combine this is why you wait confirm try to see if you can dig a little deeper I couldn't find anything until texting someone after that pick was made and got to confirm that yeah he was Bill's guy so Mm. Bill, Bill loved him. I think the point is is uh, an interesting one, not only because of the running backs. And I, I think Zeke has been good in that you needed a three-down back. Um, but Pierre Strong obviously did not pan out. Kevin Harris has lived on the practice squad. And Pierre Strong is probably the reason they didn't take uh, HN. But you look at some of the other picks, and you, know, you could make an argument here or there for some of these guys. It's just... The offensive tackle situation, man. Or even Trey Tucker, who's done fairly well in Vegas. And I know Tank Dell had already been gone at that point, but it's just, it is a good what if, because there's a lot of talent still there in the middle rounds of positions that probably would have helped you, including running back. And obviously they haven't gotten anything from Mapu, and it's not mostly his fault uh, playing behind Peppers and Duggars, but it's, it's a good point because third round picks uh, can, can certainly change, I don't want to say change a season, but make an impact that would have been significant this year to a team like the Patriots. All right, you ready to talk about the Chiefs? I am. I'm ready, man. Big rivalry game that got pushed out of Monday Night Football. Although I don't think that's embarrassing as much as everybody else thinks it is. Like, okay, if they had this rule before, this would have happened a million times over the past decade or so where a bad team was playing on Monday night. So I don't think it's that embarrassing. And it saves us the whole day of people talking about the Patriots dynasty coming to an end in the Belichick era. We don't have to do that with ESPN for a full day. So I think it's a win. I think it is a net positive. And I think the distinction here is they're the first ever right like had this been the yeah. second time or third time then it's like oh this happens all the time and the Patriots think it only makes sense the fact that Robert Kraft's and Bill Belichick's team is the one being flexed out of Monday Night Football makes this a bigger deal it is not going to be forgotten but I think all in all you're right when we do not spend that Monday going this is rough and the whole world watches that game and goes oh this is how bad it's been like I knew the Patriots stink but like what the hell is that uh, and it's only the first quarter. Yes, a positive for them. Okay, the Chiefs. So uh, they are eight and five. They are fourth in defense, ninth, uh, fourth in offense, excuse me, ninth in defense, six in special teams, all by DVOA. Their last four games, as you probably saw, a tough 2017 loss versus Buffalo. For that, 27 19 at Green Bay, a 31 17 win at Las Vegas, and a 21 17 loss to the Eagles. Uh, it feels like all of these games were primetime except for Vegas. Uh, and that came after their buy. Patrick Mahomes still doing Patrick Mahomes things. 66.9% completion percentage, 23 touchdowns, 11 touch, uh, interceptions, 3,398 yards. Isaiah Pacheco, who did not practice on Wednesday, did not play against the Bills last weekend, runs as hard as anyone in the league. That is top 10 guys I do not want to be in front of when he is running full speed at me. No matter how much protection I have had, he's going to absolutely crack uh, over under four and a half ribs. 
Anyway, he's averaging four and a half yards per carry. Um, behind him, you know, McKinnon, uh, Cedric, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And as the receivers go, Travis Kelsey is, is tops in virtually all categories, as you would expect. 80 catches, 896 yards, five touchdowns. Rasheed Rice, though, talk about rookies, taking on day two, uh, is making a big impact. He has six touchdowns, and everyone else behind him is just falling apart, including Kadarius Toney, who just can't line up. And that's the big issue from last weekend, not the refs. It was, you're not a foot or two feet or even two and a half feet. You are three feet, sir, offside as an offensive player, and you just can't have it. So initial thoughts on them before we get to our uh, three keys, two matchups, and one wild card breakdown. Yeah, it feels like to me that this is some version of, if you want to call it the 2006 Patriots or the 2018 Patriots, where the 2018 Patriots found a way to win, right? Where it's like, okay, Gronk wasn't prime Gronk anymore. He clearly dipped off from 17. He was dealing with injuries. And that year, they traded away Brandon Cooks after Cooks was really good for the Patriots in 17. I know that he tried to leap uh, Eagles defender at the Super Bowl, which he ended up getting concussed. But my point being is Brady won the MVP in 17. And the reason his numbers weren't the same is because he took away some of the weapons and Gronk was aging. In 06, you had Deion Branch wasn't here anymore. The leading receiver was Rache Caldwell, right? And Troy Brown at that point was the third leading receiver and he was 35 years old. He wasn't the same player anymore. So I do feel like this is the year that they're actually starting to feel the absence of Tyreek Hill. Last year, they won the Super Bowl. And Juju, as bad as he's been here, he was productive for this team. And the Rache Rice thing, it's a good point because if you look at him on the season, he is third among qualifiers in terms of receivers in yak per reception at 7.9, yet his dot is the third lowest at 4.9. So this is a yards after the catch guy. So the thing that they don't have is the explosive plays. Like if you look at Pat Mahomes' numbers this season, they're down. And it's just like I said with Brady in 18 or Brady in 06, it's not Tom or it's not Mahomes. It's, it's caught up to him. Like their number one priority is going to have to get a number one weapon in the offseason. So I look at this team right like I have a difficult time. And I know I could sound dumb for saying this, but like seeing Pat Mahomes and this team winning all these playoff games to get to the Super Bowl with like the margin's not the same as it once was. So I just think that this is one of those years where you have a dynastic run. It's a down year for this team. And I expect them to not make it to the Super Bowl. I know that's not like a super bold prediction, but I just don't think they're the same team that we're used to seeing. They're not. And yet I just I can't count them out. Like I, we, you mentioned the 06 Patriots comparison, and I think it's perfect. And not just because you have a quarterback dealing with, you know, terrible receivers and he's got to do more with less. That 06 defense was among the best Belichick has ever, ever, ever had. And that's what carried that team, including the round before against the Chargers and the upset, um, you know, then San Diego in the divisional round. And then they go to the AC championship game and lose despite having a 21 to three lead yeah. at halftime and so i look at this chiefs team i just said it they're ninth in defense they're sixth in special teams their kicker has not missed once all year and so i look at those last four games that i reeled off you know all of their losses there are by one possession and it's a field goal to buffalo with the penalty four points against the eagles like i know buffalo is not the same either but some of their underlying metrics say like hey they're kind of a sleeping giant and so if you're yeah. around in those close games they might not be at home during the playoffs but i I'm not counting them out in a way that I don't think folks were counting out the 06 Patriots, even as bad as it looked with this receiving core that, of course, is letting the team down. Um, all right, three keys for this game. What is your first key for the Patriots, who last I checked were seven and a half point underdogs, which came down by two full points from Monday? Okay, yeah, because originally I saw it, I think I looked yesterday as we're recording on Thursday morning. I think I saw it at eight and a half on FanDuel on. Wednesday, so it's coming down. People are betting on the Patriots. I don't know if that's because of what we saw last week from Kansas City. But the one thing I'll say, and I can't believe I'm saying this, is make them one-dimensional on offense. Because you mentioned Pacheco, and Andy Reid was asked about him. Of course, he missed last week, as you said. He was asked if he could go on IR, and he said, we'll see. So I don't even know if he's going to play in this game on Sunday. And if that's the case, the Patriots, as we mentioned earlier, their rush defense is the best in the NFL and Clyde Edwards-Alaire last week, 39 yards on 11 carries. Jarek McKinnon has barely been used. So if they don't have Pacheco, I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball against the Patriots. And outside of Kelsey, it's Rache Rice and a bunch of other guys that really have not been able to make plays. Like, the way <laughs> I think the Patriots are going to be able to hang in this game. If Pacheco plays, I think it's different because then they can be the offense that they want to be. Like, it's crazy to think about that this Chiefs team, like, Pacheco is so important 
to that offense right now. But if, hey, if you take away the running game if Pacheco doesn't play, I think the Patriots will be in this game. Now, their offense may screw it up on the other side of things. Like That certainly could be the case. But I think the defense will put up a fight if Pacheco doesn't play. I think it's a good point. And it, it reminds me of the last meeting, which it's somehow hard to believe. Patriots Chiefs was in 2020. Empty stadium. Cam Newton gets COVID the Saturday before they're supposed to go. The game gets postponed to a Monday night or a Tuesday night. And I remember because I was, uh, anyway, just running around. No one cares. But that night, they held the Chiefs to 19 offensive points, which was the second lowest Mahomes had ever scored in his career to date. And I argued in a column afterward that that was the best performance the defense had ever had against the Chiefs in the Mahomes era. And the way they did it was by dropping eight the whole time. And obviously, you're not dropping eight, or not the whole time. It was around a third. But a significant jump, even from teams that love to drop eight more than anyone else that season. Um, you're not dropping eight if you expect run or if they can run. And obviously, this is different with the Chiefs offense, which you don't believe me. Look it up for yourself. Still ranks fourth by DVOA in offense. And that running game is going to be big. And I think you're going to hear some of that this week, partly because their offensive line is so good. Um, but I'm curious how much they go back to that plan, which they can only do, obviously, if the Chiefs are not running the ball at will. Mine goes to the offense. Bill O'Brien's got to bring his best man-beating route concepts because Legereus Sneed has got 11 pass breakups. Trent McDuffie's going to stick to anyone in the slot where he typically is when they go three-corner nickel. He plays outside in some base defense. Um he has five forced fumbles this year. Like, you need to get those guys away from the Patriots receivers, who, as we documented, are not going to separate. I don't know how much Juju's experience can possibly help in this situation, especially on a bad knee. But you're going to need to scheme some things open against what's a very good, very aggressive Chiefs defense. And that really starts from back to front. Yeah, and I don't trust Bill O'Brien to be able to do that. Because <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't really seen him do much of that all season long. And I think that's why... Bill O'Brien's going to have a tough time finding an offensive coordinator job next year in the NFL. Like, remember a couple of weeks ago, something was out there like, hey, would Carolina do it because Bill O'Brien coached Bryce Young? I just don't trust them to do it. Like, the Patriots, to me, they have been not only hurt by their personnel offensively, but they've been hurt by the offensive coordinator as well, as we were talking about earlier. So that's where I think, like, this is why the Chiefs will win this game comfortably and cover the number is because the Patriots offensively are going to be in some trouble. And... I know Zappi made some nice throws in that game. I don't trust him not to turn the football over. I mean, just go back to last week and look at the interception he had against the Steelers, and he tried to throw another one. So I feel like Zappi's going to, I don't want to say come undone, but I think we're going to see Zappi sort of be exposed in this game like we saw earlier in the season when he was coming in in relief. <laughs> this is going to be like that Scooby-Doo meme where someone reaches for the mask and then the second picture pulls it off. But the mask is just Bailey Zappi. He's going to be exposed for who he is because we all know what Bailey Zappi is. Very nice first half against Pittsburgh. That was the only half in which they've scored uh, the last couple of games. So I'm with you. All right, the last key here before we get to two matchups. Okay, now this isn't really a game key. This is a big picture key. Think of Drake, Mac. Okay, you had your win. You had your win. So Juju, like don't treat this like another revenge game because – if you think about the Chiefs, man, they got you a Super Bowl ring. And because you played so well with Patrick Mahomes, and last year Juju was first in yak among receivers on third down with that team. Like, they got him paid. The Patriots fell in love with Juju Smith-Schuster. And I think some of that, too, is about, hey, Juju's a tough guy. He can block. But don't treat the Chiefs like you treated the Steelers. I don't want another big game for Juju, where I think that's good long-term, that we saw a good Juju flash, because he's going to be on the team. The reality is they're paying him a lot of money over the next couple of seasons. But... The Patriots can't pick up another win here. Like, I'm starting to worry not about this game, but if they pick up another win and they fall down in terms of the standings, like, you can't fall out of that number two pick. Because even if, say, Arizona doesn't end up taking a quarterback, like, their schedule, Arizona's schedule is very difficult. And the Patriots' schedule is tough, too. But they could trade that pick, right? Like, unless they say, hey, we have to take Marvin Harrison Jr., which maybe they come to that realization. Like, the Patriots are playing with fire here if they win another game. They really are. That's why the Giants lost. I argued this after – I didn't argue this. I just made the point. I thought it was the biggest result the Patriots have had since they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. Wow. Because <laughs> think about, well, if, if you get Drake May, right, or you get Caleb Williams, like that Giants win could have totally changed things where you're drafting fifth or sixth, right? So I thought that was so important for them to pick up that loss. I just – I really don't want to see them screw it up. Now, the one argument you can make on the other side is last year – it actually helped. Like, the Texans ended up losing or winning their final. Like, Lovey Smith got them a yes. win. They ended up dropping a two, and they drafted the right quarterback. 
So maybe the Patriots still make the right pick, but I would much rather just go into the draft knowing I have the number two pick. So this is not just for this game, but it's for the rest of the season. And they play the Jets on the final week of the season. And I know the Jets, like they won last week, but the Patriots have this thing over the Jets. So like, it doesn't matter. The Patriots beat the Jets no matter what it feels like. So, so the key is Juju stop playing like this. Is that, yeah, <laughs> I get that right. Okay. No, the key is Juju Move. go back to what you were prior to the Steelers game. Okay, gotcha. So basically stink. And Very Bill O'Brien, keep doing what you're doing to your key. Like, yeah. Keep doing what you're doing, Bill O'Brien. Keep stinking. I'm going to throw out one more just because, again, in these upset games, you know, you you have to win on the margins and then play at least to a draw in, in the bigger categories. And some of those margins have to be on special teams, which it seems insane to suggest the Patriots could accomplish this when they've been bottom three in special teams virtually all season by DBOA. And as I said, the Chiefs are top 10. They're top 10 in every single phase, and their kicker is not missed. But whether it's field position to force Patrick Mahomes to drive 85 yards instead of 75, or it's giving Bailey Zappi an extra 20 on some sort of punt return, like you, ju- you just have to win there. Because if you don't, and you make life harder on yourself, like life's already hard enough against Mahomes and Andy Reid in a seven and a half point spread. You need to win in that phase, and I'm not sure if they can. Uh, two matchups. One really quick for me, Chris Jones. Against his Patriots offensive line. The weak link is City Sal, the right guard who gave up both sacks on interior stunts. So when you're looking at defensive tackles, kind of cutting across their gap and another one looping in behind, um, that's what we're talking about. Teams have been targeting City Sal in that way for weeks. However, on the left side of the line, all sunshines in six foot eight, 380 pound rainbows and Trent Brown, who with Cole Strange and David Andrews have combined to allow a single, just one pressure in the last two weeks. So Chris Jones on that side, not a big problem. Chris Jones on the right side uh, is, is going to be a big deal. Yeah, so I'll, go, I'll add to that with my matchup, just like a bigger one is just in general, the Patriots offensive line in Zeke and the run offense or the rush offense against the rush defense of the Chiefs. Because if you look at it, Zeke, he was really effective as a receiver last week, eight for 72, but running the ball just 22 for 68. And if you look at the Chiefs defense, you can actually run on them, right? Like, they're really good getting to the pass. or 28.9 pressure rate, which is best in the NFL. 42 sacks, which is tied for third. The 185 passing yards per game is sixth. So they've been good against the pass. But in terms of the run game, 31st in rush EPA and 23rd in rush success rate. And as I was mentioning earlier with Zappi, I don't want this to become a Zappi game, right? Where Zappi has to throw the ball all over the place. So if the Patriots want to stay in this game and keep it competitive, I think it's imperative that Zeke runs the ball pretty efficiently. And even if he's not running it efficiently, that the Patriots stick with it because that's the only way they're going to stick in this game. You can't have three and outs against the Chiefs because as as we mentioned, like the Chiefs offense is not the same as it once was, but you don't want to keep giving Patrick Mahomes extra possessions. And maybe more importantly, you don't want Zappi to be in third and eight or third and nine in this game where it's, hey, we pass on first down and then we pass on second down. And ordinarily, like you'd like to be passing a lot on first down, but if you're not successful doing it, then you want to go back to running the football with Zeke. So I hope that they can find a way to run the football and sort of at least stick in this game and making competitive, because I think that's the only way they're going to be able to do that is running the football and trying to be in a position where you dominate time of possession, like in the, not to use the football cliche, but I think that's the way you stick in this game. Like you need David strategies. You can't win this game straight up. You're absolutely right. And I, I'm going to break my own rule here. This, this used to be once upon a time a three-two-one breakdown. This is going to be a four-three-one uh, something because we just I just have to talk about Travis Kelsey a little bit here. And I look at those safeties and the way the Patriots have historically played man-to-man coverage against the Chiefs and succeeded in that way to bump them off their timing. And look, they had a lot better secondary talent in 2020, in 2019, in 2018. Their last meetings against Kansas City. I still think they're going to play man. And that will mean Kyle Duggar against Travis Kelsey a whole lot. And if it's not him, it's Jalen Mills, who might be better suited for this, actually, given how he's kind of come on, not only just from a performance standpoint, but he's physical and he's played a lot more in their base three safety nickel packages. So he's starting games now in a way that he was playing eight snaps uh, earlier this season. And that's going to be a huge battleground for obvious reasons with how much Mahomes looks at Kelsey, how good Kelsey is, and the way the Patriots ideally want to play because if Kelsey spooks them out of playing man-to-man coverage because Mills or Duggar or maybe Jabril Peppers can't handle him, that opens up a whole lot more. Because there's no one better in the league, in my opinion, 
at settling in and finding the soft spots for his own because he's allowed to freelance than Travis Kelsey, who's been working with Mahomes for forever. And they can also get into other parts of their bag uh, from an Andy Reid play calling standpoint against more zone coverage. And that'll start with how do the safeties, Duggar, Mills, and Peppers handle number 87? Yeah, because that's also the only guy you're really scared of with this team at this point, right? And the other thing I'd say is like the Patriots, PFF has them as the number two tackling team behind Dallas. And if you look at Mahomes this season, this is via PFF, less than two and a half seconds, his A dot is last in the NFL, 39th of 39 at 2.2. And the yards per attempt is 30th out of 39 qualifiers at 5.8. And you go back to last year. That A dot was low, 3.736 of 40, but the yards per attempt, 7.3, which was seventh compared to this year, 30th. So they were making more plays after the catch when Mahomes was getting the ball out quickly. So if the Patriots just are able to, and they've been really good as a tackling defense, right? Like Mahomes doesn't have a lot of guys that are doing things from like the, the Chiefs are so reliant on their yak. They're first in the NFL in yak yards because they can't really they don't have guys that beat you down the field like Kelsey's the one guy that's the like these other guys they have Marcus Veldes Scantling has done nothing for them and Kelsey's still awesome I I will say this about Kelsey like the numbers look pretty similar I do feel like he's a little bit less explosive and I know his thing is not explosion but I don't think he's quite as good as he's been in previous seasons like he's 34 he's still their best player but like, you could argue the past, I don't know, three to four years that he was the best weapon in the NFL, right? Receiver or tight end. Like, I think you could make an argument for it, right? I don't think you can make that argument anymore. Like, I, you'd rather have Tyree Kill than him. I think I'd rather have Jamar Chase than him right now just because of what Chase can do down the field. So, I think Kelsey's still an outstanding player, but I don't think he's the same guy we saw the past few years. I think it's a good point. I can't go as far as the best weapon in the league, but you definitely see the loss of a, a quarter step. And I think it was, you have a high ankle Earlier this season, like I know that line. Yeah. The the Lions game. Right, right. And so I think that's something that that probably lingers more than people want to uh, discuss. Or certainly he wants to discuss. But 34 is just as important, if not more so, than uh, a lingering, possibly lingering ankle sprain. He's Gronk Sage. Like, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. All right. The last part of this breakdown, whether it is 3-2-1 or 4-3, whatever, is a wild card to a... Football thought, something we have not talked about that is related to this game, that could be anything from the concessions. We haven't talked to any Taylor Swift. I don't know if that's by design on your part or not. But what's your uh, what's your wild card here? Okay, so my wild card, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, are we starting to see the start of something with Christian Barmore, where I thought it was going to be the year two leap. He dealt with injuries last season. He wasn't the same guy. This year, like, he's up to, what, four and a half sacks, which is a career high. I think he's actually been better against the run this year than he's been in previous seasons. So when you start to think about the Patriots defense entering next season, it's Gonzalez and Judon are your two best players, even though Judon's a little bit older. Is Barmore going to be like one of the staples with this Patriots defense for the next 10 years or so? Because remember, they traded up for him in the second round. He would have gone in the first round if there wasn't like questions about him coming out of Alabama. I wonder if we're starting to see like Barmore emerge into a star player for this defense and maybe we see more of this carry over into next season because I think we're seeing the start of it like and if you have Judon next season with Barmore and Barmore still doing what he's doing getting after the passer and you have Christian Gonzalez like this turnaround it seems like it's going to be an eternity for the Patriots but if you get a receiver and if you get like we said the quarterback in the draft Drake May and we'll see what the receiver market is right like T Higgins is the guy that a lot of people point to Michael Pittman I can't imagine the Colts are in a situation where they don't keep the guy like he the guy he I know he's not explosive but he gets a ton of receptions like if you're ever betting props on FanDuel over under like you always going to take the over with Pittman he's like a lock to get like seven receptions a week but even an older guy like Mike Evans like at 30 and I know he's not the same guy but we just saw what DeAndre Hopkins did for the Titans but and maybe I'm crazy saying this, but you get Ramondre back. Like this team could be competitive. Like not like not like a playoff caliber team, but they could be competitive next year. Like, wouldn't you be happy if the Patriots next year are what the Texans are this year? Where like they and I'm not saying that Drake May is going to be CJ Stroud, but they're like in the fight, and it's like, oh, okay, we kind of know how we're building things going forward. Like I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility for this Patriots team. First of all, yes. I, I would appreciate that. Texans have been a great story. A lot of fun. Even if they're not going to make the playoffs and win all their games, that's fine. Fun is good. Nick Casario saving his job. <laughs> Second of all, 
I just love that you just started this series of dominoes. The first one being Christian Barmore, like might be a legit star. And that somehow yeah. knocked its way all the way down to the Patriots <laughs> can make the playoffs next year. And we start with this defensive tackle who's not, who just started playing more than half the snaps for the first time in his career. And now suddenly like 63%, baby, 63%. He's just he, the, the power of Christian Barmore. He's, he's done it. This is, this is a yeah, beautiful way to wrap our kind of dark what ifs of earlier this season and off season to what if Christian Barmore suddenly becomes football God um, higher than Aaron Donald and carries the Patriots to the playoffs. What if I would love that. Did Christian Gonzalez launch the next dynasty? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe he did. Um, we'll get to that after the break. Yeah. My, <laughs> uh, my uh, wild card and this came up on TV yesterday and I might write about it today. Uh, again, recording Thursday, you know, the idea that the chiefs could challenge the Patriots dynasty key operative, the word doing the most heavy lifting here is challenge. Okay. That's the key word, the operative word, because I think, and I don't want to talk too much about this again, read the, read the column. If I write it, maybe something else will happen. And I don't, um, is I see this a lot in the LeBron, you know, MJ conversation, right? Like some people are full stop going to be six rings is more than four or five. If he gets another one, MJ's the goat. that's it. Others want to have a little bit more nuance looking at different numbers or longer numbers and longevity or the peaks of a career versus the sustained part of this, which the peak would favor MJ. But the point being, if the Chiefs get to four or five Super Bowls, you know, you're not better than the Patriots at that point. But five, you could talk about them in a way that no one else in NFL history so far could be held up to the Patriots. And at least you have a conversation. Challenge. Challenge their dynasty. Is that too much for you? Yeah. Well, the first thing in terms of the Brady Mahomes thing, I think the one thing that really helps Tom is, oh, yeah, 18 AFC title game, 2020 Super Bowl, where Tom beat Mahomes twice in the playoffs. So if you're comparing the guys like ordinarily, like we don't have a Jordan comparison with LeBron, like actually playing each other. We actually have that with Tom, right, where Tom actually beat him twice in the postseason. But in terms of the dynasty thing, I think the most difficult thing for the Chiefs to sustain this is when Bill started, he was, what, 49 and when they won their first Super Bowl. Andy Reid is now 65, so they started this run in, like, 60. So he won the Super Bowl when he was 61, right, in 2019. And the other thing is, like, the Patriots in 03 and 04, they clearly, and I mean, you even mentioned 06, had the best defense in the league for, like, a long run here, right? And if you think about the quarterbacks then, like, I was going through this the other day. The top five quarterbacks in passer rating in 03 – the late Steve McNair, who didn't win an MVP, Peyton Manning, but then it was Dante Culpepper, and the rest of the top six, Trent Green, Jake Plummer, Brett Favre was six. If you go to 04, Manning, Culpepper, a young breeze in San Diego, McNabb, rookie Big Ben, Brian Greasy was sixth. So Mahomes is clearly the best quarterback in the NFL. But if you just look at the AFC, like it was just, it was Brady versus Manning for like 15 years, it felt like, right? If you look now, like, Mahomes is better than Allen. Mahomes is better than Burrow. Mahomes is better than Lamar Jackson. But is the gap so wide where you say, hey, he's way better than these guys, where you would only have that conversation. Brady and Manning, that's the only guys that matched up against each other. So, like right now, I think Lamar has a better team. Right now, I think that if you look like, for example, Tua's got a better team, and I'm not putting Tua on that level, but I just think the gap isn't as wide with the amount of quarterbacks you have, right? Like Mahomes is still the top guy. But there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the AFC now. I know people talk about the quarterback problem in the NFL. I think that's more of a middle of the road to the end of the road quarterbacks, right? Not the guys at the top. Like the AFC is deep at the quarterback position. And a lot of these teams are loaded now where, like, if you look at the rosters, I think Buffalo is better than Kansas City. We'll see if they get in. I think Miami's better than Kansas City. And I think Baltimore is better than Kansas City. So I don't think it'd be a shock if they lose to any of those teams, right? Where the Patriots, when they started it, they always had, like, in 03 and 04, you could argue they had, what, definitely a top three roster in the NFL. You could argue the best roster. And a guy that was coming onto his own as the best quarterback in the NFL. So that's my biggest thing is Andy Reid's age, and they're going to have to replace Kelsey as, like, the number one guy eventually, which that's difficult to do. And I think just the league from an AFC perspective with the quarterbacks, it's in a better position. Great points all the way around. Uh, I might not be writing this column at all. Well done. No. <laughs> But it's it's a good point. And, you know, look, this year we make the 06 comparison to the Patriots. Um, I don't know what the injury situation was like, but the reason Mahomes might be able to pull that off or at least get to the AFC championship game with the Chiefs is Burrow's out for the year. Herbert's out for the year. 
You've got Allen, but, you know, again, that was a three-point game at home for the Chiefs that they lost because Kadarius Toney made a mistake that hopefully he never makes again. And then, yeah, Lamar Jackson's going to be an issue, but that's a team that, you know, has had their own woes. And now finally has, you know, a good defense in Kansas City to kind of back him up. So it's, it's a lot that's going in his favor in a down year outside of Kansas City, but within Kelsey being 34, not many weapons is, is you know, definitely an issue. So uh, TBD, I think this conversation gets into overdrive if somehow they do win this season. And then you're talking about three, Mahomes just entering his prime as Brady was in the mid-2000s. And Andy Reid sticking around for how long is a good question. Um, but hopefully he has a succession plan in a way that is uh, – not as messy as this season appears to be as Belichick hands the baton or is forced to hand the baton off to drop Mayo, but we'll have plenty of time to discuss that much later on. In the meantime, he has been Ron, uh, Brian Barrett of The Ringer. Listen to the Off the Pike podcast. I don't know if I said that at the beginning. My, my apologies, sir. Uh, anywhere you get your podcast, you, they would prefer on Spotify. Terrific as always, man. I appreciate the information, the insight, and this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. All right, Callahan. I appreciate it, man. Merry Christmas. <laughs>